Hashtag never alone with Joe and Mark. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Never Alone Season 2 Episode 13. I'm your lived experience host, Joe Ambridge. And I'm Joe's co-host, psychotherapist and relationship counsellor, Mark Fielding. Um, and today's topic is eye movement desensitisation and reprocessing or EMDR. Um, and what do you know about EMDR? Or do you, we... Yeah, I mean, what's, uh, I mean, as I was kind of saying before we started, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on the theory behind it, you know, but I have had EMDR, you know, as my own therapy. And I mean, I, I have to say, I found it to be absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I've... I don't know, I had a lot of therapies over the years, you know, you have to, you know, to, in terms of kind of what, what I do, but I do, I have really found EMDR to be the most effective, but uh, yeah. Yeah, it's something I've not heard about um, until you mentioned it, and then I really like went and looked into it. Um, we're actually joined like every other episode, um, we're joined by a guest today who can tell us a little bit about it, and um, we're joined by Dr. Emily Mills. Hi, Emily. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Just tell us a little bit about your background in relation to mental health and in relation to the topic. Okay, so I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been a clinical psychologist for 13 years now. Um, I work up in Townsville. I have my own practice, which is Empowerment Psychology. Um, and I have a couple of practitioners in that um, space and we have two of our practitioners, me and another one that do EMDR. Um, I stumbled into EMDR in 2018. So prior to that, I'd done lots of CBT therapy, so acceptance and commitment therapy. And I was um, qualified as a DBT trainer and um, yeah, I decided that after DBT, um, so dialectical behaviour therapy. I decided after that that um, lots of my patients were still a little bit stuck and we seem to still be going round and round. They seem to not be able to um, really put into play the things that were um, affecting them on a daily basis or just memories from the past that kept on coming up and affecting how, um, how good they were able to put in those strategies from DBT because it's quite a cognitive way of thinking. Um, and then I decided to do EMDR and I am now, um, I got taught um, by Sigmund and he is an institute trained EMDR therapist and he basically says you can't be um, half pregnant. So you either dive in and you are an EMDR therapist or you're not an EMDR therapist. You can't be half and half. And I've kind of really jumped in from that date and really done Lots of stuff. So um, I've just submitted my stuff to EMDRA, which is um, kind of like the governing body to be an accredited practitioner. Oh, awesome. You're the third guest we've had from Townsville. <laughs> we had two the other oh, day from Townsville <laughs> and they both knew each other. Um, yeah, I've had oh. DBT as well. Um, just, I've had, I yeah. was doing DBT for, because I've got borderline personality disorder. So I've heard a little bit about DBT, but I've not had much of it mainly had CBT. EMTR works really well from a <laughs> yeah, I might look borderline personality. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's current thinking in regards to borderline that it does come from childhood trauma and the impact of that traumatic thing of not connecting with your parents and um, the way you were raised and that not being what you needed as a person and then your ability to self-regulate as well. So definitely dealing with the stuff that got you there I find is way more healing and transformative 
Yeah, I definitely had a lot of trauma as a child from bullying and stuff like that. Yeah, um, 100% EMDR is for you. <laughs> so how, how does EMDR work? Okay, so EMDR is basically, um, as the name suggests, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. We don't always do the eye movements, but most of the time we do um, do eye movements when you're in person. But obviously COVID has influenced us a lot and we've been doing a lot of um, physical touching. So you can do bilateral stimulation. So what we want to do is recreate REM sleep. So that's your first stage of sleep. And I don't know if either of you have children but, um, when they're first going to sleep or your partner, you can be really creepy and watch your partner next time they're next to you. Um, when they go through the first stages of sleep, they naturally move their eyes left and right under their eyelids. And that's to initiate REM sleep. And this is normally where we unlock our memories during the night and we start processing what's happened during the day. Now, when you have really traumatic events happen, such as bullying at school, sometimes you don't always get the best ability to be able to process those at the time. And so that memory gets stored with all the sensory stuff. So normally um, your, uh, what you see, what you feel, um, a negative cognition, such as I'm not good enough, I'm unworthy, I'm weak, I'm unlovable any of those sort of negative cognitions get stored. And then we also have what happens in your body. So what physically do you feel when you think of those memories that you have? And so they're all wrapped up in a trauma, basically bubble. And that sits with us until we deal with it. And we actually go back and have a look at it. So when you store trauma, you store it at the age with all the thoughts, feelings, um, your uh, IQ level at that time. So your ability to process. So if you were seven, then you kind of store the memory as a seven-year-old kid. And that memory gets stored in your hippocampus and your hippocampus is where we store emotional memories. And so EMDR kind of goes into the hippocampus while you're awake. And we do um, the bilateral stimulation to help unlock the memory. And then we bring it up into working memory, which is the frontal part of our lobe and we start working through it. Now, the reason that EMDR is so powerful is kind of you're dealing with a really traumatic thing, but you're also in the room with me at the same time. So you've got this thing called dual awareness. So what that means is that you're in the trauma, but you're also here and safe with me. And that kind of allows you to give that memory all the processing and the understanding. So as a seven-year-old kid, you're normally self-referencing. So you're normally like, okay, this is about me. There's something wrong with me. And you don't have the same skills as an adult to be, you know, that kid was not a very nice kid and I probably won't hang out with him again. As a seven-year-old mm. kid, you're like, there's something wrong with me. So how can I make them like me? So we go back to those memories, unlock them, and kind of give them the adaptive functioning that you have now. So we say, okay, well, I can see now that I was a pretty good kid and I was pretty cool and, you know, I was a bit quirky or a bit different and I can look back at that now and provide myself with some healing to say it wasn't me. Hmm. Yeah. So some, some of these, it's a, sorry, Jack, go, go ahead. I use some, yeah, I some say... techniques for, uh, sorry, <laughs> I, <use some laughs> okay. I did a self-esteem workshop uh, a few years ago yeah and the the amount of stuff like the stuff we spoke about and uh, some of the things that i i identified the stuff that was affecting me and affecting my self-esteem because I, I was quite a 
bad habit of not valuing myself very highly. Like, and for example, maybe like being broke, uh, being dumped by someone, being in a relationship, and then the relationship ending, and then I'd blame myself instantly. Think, oh, what have I done wrong? Why, why did I do that? Um, and other things like accepting, like maybe what people would pass off as banter, but it's like as friends that could be otherwise seen as bullying or not very nice and just accepting that as banter just to have friends yeah yeah and I guess it, this is you, just as you say so these kind of experiences for what you say they, they kind of get they get dissociated and they just sit there but they're, they're, yeah, effect, they're but affecting they're like the person points. yeah 100% so for me my trigger point is dupe if I smell that, I'm like, oh, yuck, because I had lots of bad boyfriends in like high school that wore dupe. But now when I smell that, I'm like, oh, I don't know why I don't like it, but I just don't like that smell. And I don't like it when men wear that smell. So doing EMDR with myself, and I think that any practitioner should be able to do their own therapy with the therapy that they're learning. So as part of our EMDR training in the basic level, we do a memory or two together and then Basically, when I've done masterclass, we really spend five days just going through your own stuff in your own closet and working through that as much as possible. And so in that, I was like, oh, now I get why I don't like dupe. And you understand those sorts of things. But you've got to remember, like from Harvard Medical did an amazing study where they measured like the body and the brain and the connection. So um, what they did is they did a card stack test. So they measured um, people's um, body reactions by cortisol levels in their mouth, skin conductance, how much they were sweating and their heart rate. And so um, the card flips, there were three piles. If you flip three, uh, two red ones and got a black one, then you were, um, that was the winning hand. And so there was one stack that was the better stack out of all of them. So after 10 flips, your body knew which stack was a good stack as measured by lower cortisol, lower heart rate, not sweating as much. Your brain didn't catch up to 50 flips. So you've got to think that from that perspective, you are always unconsciously storing these things that happen in your life. And if you don't go back and ever deal with them, then they're constant triggers for how things are. Yeah. It, it's such a fascinating therapy. I mean, you know, over the years I've had loads and loads of different modality therapies and, you know, and they've all been helpful, you know, I mean, they've all helped me in different ways, you know, but, but EMDR was, it was just when I, when I had EMDR, it was, it was just the most incredible experience I've ever had therapeutically. It's just, it just cuts through everything, you know, I and mean, my personal experience was, you know, I did the, I did kind of butterfly taps. So I had it, I had it online. Yeah. And then I watched where my mind was going, almost felt like I was in a kind of like, I don't know, hypnotic state almost, but my mind went to play, memories came up for me that I had not seen probably for 50 years. And then my mind would dart about, is, is that normal? It would dart about colour, yeah. I mean, all through my life, my, my mind would dart about, I felt safe, I feel comfortable, I watched it. And, you know, and the traumatic memory I brought, you know, after a while, it did well it was very very triggering initially and then after you know i worked with this therapist for quite a while it the the, the triggering was nothing you know i could this was yeah. a memory i struggled to think about and then you know i can just talk about it think about it now you know without any triggering any anxiety at all i mean it really really works and it's it's quick as well 
you know it, it yeah. can be quite quick on it which I think is also good so how I kind of describe it to my clients is it's like a dark tunnel right so bad stuff has to get off and good stuff gets on and then we get to the light at the end of, end of the tunnel which is where you've let everything go and so from that perspective with you you're going down the tunnels of the different memories because a memory has lots of associations it's like a spider web so this yeah. part connects to that part connects to this part so if it was the unlovable thing you would have potentially like lots of stops along the way if we're talking about the train and we've got to be able to go back and see that these events impacted who I am. And by sitting with it for such a long time allows all of these memory channels to come up and these associations to come up at that time. And by the end of it, you get to the point where you're like, it just doesn't affect me anymore. I don't feel the same way I did about it. I feel different. Yeah. And then, also, and then we know, install yeah. the positive. Yeah. yeah. So at the yeah. end, you yeah. kind of install the positive. Yeah. Of what you would like to think about. Yeah, could you just tell, tell us a little bit more about that, Emily? The, the installing yeah, so you, the positive, yeah. So what, what is that? So you get to the end of the processing and you say, okay, this memory doesn't affect me anymore. And then what we want to do is we really want to change your memory processing for that. So every time that you bring up the memory, we want a different positive cognition for that. And so that could be I am lovable if you're using the example before. And so you get to the end and you're like, I am lovable. So every time you think back to a memory that was really triggering or terrible or anything like that, the initial thought that pops up is I am lovable. And that is a new neural pathway that we've done. And we've created that in a session, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely, you know, I, mean, I, I keep saying it, but it's, you know, I mean, I, you know, I've been in the field for years and really, you know, I, when, after I had it, I thought, I've just got to train in this, <laughs> really, you know, Did I mean, uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to train Yay. in it, yeah, because yeah. I mean, how, how do you, how do you blend it with your other modalities? Because you do quite a lot, you do, you do act and you do, you know, CBT yeah. and other things. How, how, how do so you tend to blend it? Well, before I even start EMDR, we've got to make sure that anyone is prepared for the impact of like bringing up terrible memories. So normally when you bring up terrible memories, sometimes even when you've processed it, you can go to sleep and you can have the effect of, oh, I remember this now. And, you know, we were focusing over on this memory to the left, but now to the right, I can see that, oh, this is coming up and it's coming up during my sleep. So you want people to be able to manage those feelings when they do come up in between sessions. Not always does that happen and not always do people have any kind of reactions, but we need them to be skilled up to be able to do those sorts of things. So before any EMDR, I'm making sure that I am, working with them to have distress tolerance skills from DBT, to be able to do mindfulness from ACT, to be able to do thought challenging from CBT. And once they've skilled that, then we start the process. And normally I'll ask them um, as um, the Institute protocol is, is to ask them the 20 worst moments in their life and then list the 10 best moments in your life. Cause it hasn't always been bad and there are good things that can happen people find which is really interesting is that listing the 10 best is the worst um, for them because sometimes people can't get to 10 but this is what I always try and prep them for is once you um, have a positive memory like say you got married you got married and then at the end of the day you were husband and wife and that was the end of the memory but when you have bad memories like bullying and there's no 
um, end of it to it, there's no conclusion, there's no change, then that stuff sticks with you more than the good stuff. So people can sometimes find it's really difficult to write the good list. Yeah. Yeah. So you're bringing in positive associations and, you know, I mean, that, that's an yeah. understatement of what you just said, but it, 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 you're bringing in positive associations to some of the material that was very, very negative and triggering. And yeah. Mostly and just reminding people that there are good things in life and that, you know, there are good people and normally an attachment figure as well. Like, you know, my mum and dad were not very good, but I had a grandma and she loved me and I loved going to grandma's house. And that's a really positive to be able to support them in doing those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with all this memory association thing. Like, I definitely feel like I've got a lot of undoubt trauma. Like, I had a breakdown a few years ago, three years ago now. Um, and the process, while I was at it, when I first moved to Australia, um, and my parents flew out to come and get me and fly me home because I couldn't fly home by myself. Um, and the, the original plan was I was supposed to move move out of the house I was living in and gradually work towards going home. But it kept getting delayed mm. and delayed. So whenever I go to those places now where I went, where I was going through the traumatic experience and having all the stress of being high anxiety, whenever I go there now, it, my brain automatically flips back to where, where I was then. And I'm a always a bit aware of where I am and where of how I'm feeling this is disassociation isn't it the best thing mm. is sometimes that space between and needing to create that space between a memory because it feels too overwhelming so you start trying to block it out because you don't want to remember it it's like stuff that happens as a child you can't have um, your mum yelling and screaming at you and making you feel bad and then having to live life during the day so you kind of block that out and I think that that's the thing about EMDR um, is that sometimes things come up that are huge that you're like whoa I didn't even think that that would affect me but it's because you dissociated a lot during childhood or even in adulthood to create space between the memories so it didn't affect you in everyday life so it's not until you go back and you go okay I want to deal with the house stuff and I want to deal with the things that are affecting me, that that stuff really starts to come up. Yeah. And again, just again, sharing my experience, you know, in one session, you know, I have to be careful what I self-disclose, but, you know, in one session, I, I, had, I had a massive ab reaction. I mean, to, I mean yeah. goodness me. I mean, it was, it does, when I reflected after the session, I, I was just absolutely staggered, at, you know, so an emotion poured out of me from a really, really early time, you know, that what I was looking at was really, really early memories I'd not looked at for years, you know, and then this happy reaction came and then for the week after and subsequently, I just felt so much lighter, you know, I, yeah. the, 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 I don't know, the, the, the change that it facilitates it's just incredible. And the speed, I mean, I'm sure this is not always the case because people bring different kind of, you know, people have different presentations. But, you know, what I've noticed from my own EMDR therapy is the change it promotes and, you know, the speed of change is just incredible, really. It really Once is Once your incredible. brain gets it, it yeah. gets it. So sometimes your first couple of sessions, they may take one or two sessions to complete one memory. Yeah. Yeah. But once your brain is like, I know what we're doing and I'm going to quickly do it, you go through so much quicker. So that 20 lists as well. So sometimes you have learnings in that 20 list and you're like, okay, these were the worst experience, but you process 
the one from early childhood and you look at one from your teens and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. I don't actually feel that anymore. I feel like, you know, processing that underneath one kind of made changes all the way up to this memory. So I don't need mm -hmm. to process that anymore. So it's amazing. Yeah. And that, that maybe share another experience I had. I mean, I don't know whether this is, this may or may not sit in, in, within your personal philosophy, but I mean, I had this experience having EMDR that I can only be described as like an NDE. It was, I mean, obviously, you know, I wasn't near death, you know, but whether that was, you know, was, was active imagination, I mean, it kind of felt real, I have to be honest, you know, and without going into it, you know, too much, it just really felt like an NDE, you know, for the whole session, I seemed to be in this space. And that, you know, whether that was active imagination or whether that was real, you know, I guess it depends on personal philosophy. I think for me, I would think that, you know, I choose to believe that that was real. Again, so healing. Goodness me. I mean, you know, it's such a big session. And not every session, I guess, is is that way, you know, but but some sessions are just really, really transformative, I think. A hundred percent. But you've got to think that you're bringing your mind back. So if it was an early childhood, you're bringing it back to seven. So all the thoughts and feelings and the power of a seven-year-old, like as an adult, we could look back and be like, oh, that experience, you know, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. But when you're seven, that could have been an NDE for you it, mm. as a seven-year-old with all the mm. thoughts and the feelings and the cognitive ability. So when we go back and we put you as a seven-year-old with all of those thoughts and feelings as a seven-year-old, of course you're going to have these big reactions because mm. as a seven-year-old, you can't make sense of those like an adult. So you're feeling what you did at seven years old, which I think is cool, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is really cool. We've talked about trauma, Emily. What what, what other kind of presenting issues would EMDR be good EMDR for? I use EMDR for everything. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. I use EMDR for everything. Like I said, you can't be half pregnant, so I use it for everything. So I use it for anxiety. Um, I use it a lot for um, presentations and not being able to feel confident in giving presentation. That's a really popular one. Um, for people to do test anxiety, exam anxiety, any of those sorts of things that happen. Um, I also do um, it for depression, anxiety, borderline. I um, uh, Because I did DBT training, I really like borderline patients. So I do it a lot with them. Um, but yeah, you could do it for anything. Relationship breakdowns, relationship grief. Grief is another really big one that I've done it with some patients that have lost their partner, their lifelong partner, and just going back and being able to express those feelings that you couldn't at the time. Like I've had patients that have said like, I hate you for leaving me. And, you know, they're things that they could never express outside of that safe space. And without sitting in that memory, I don't think that from a cognitive capacity, they would have ever put those words into what was experienced for them. But bringing them back to that traumatic time and allowing them the space and the capacity to be able to say what had happened to them really, yeah, is good. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? Well, I mean, what, 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 what drew you to the field? So, I mean, you've, you've done a lot before you trained as an EMDR therapist. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, my sister had cystic fibrosis. So my sister has cystic fibrosis and... Um, one uh, just before her transplant we had a um, psychologist come and talk to us as a family just before her liver transplant and we had a big discussion about it and I thought wow that psychologist was really cool I want to do health psychology and be in a hospital and help other people in regards to that 
Um, but I did a placement at the hospital and I found that I didn't like the short-term nature of um, that kind of psychology. So I changed over into, yeah, doing other psychology. But, you know, it's those impacts that really change your life and make you decide that this is for you or you want to help someone or, yeah. I find my job the most rewarding job in the whole wide world. I get to be able to share space with people at their most vulnerable time and they bring me these trauma events that affect them and I see them leaving I often get called a witch that's my favorite one so far like because you have the experience at the end and you're like how did how did that all happen how did I get to the end and this not affect me when I came into this therapy room thinking oh this is the end of my life or I'm so upset about this and I could never let it go and then by the end we're like it's done yeah yeah, and that's been my experience. It feels like magic, you know. I go because I, yeah, yeah but because yeah. during the session, you, you're kind of in, in this old statement. I did the kind of the butterfly, which really, really works. I mean, goodness me, really yeah. deepens, you know, it seems like such a small thing, doesn't it, to just do the butterfly yeah. tapping? But goodness me, it really, really takes you into a really deep kind of mental, you know, a, a mental state. And it just feels like magic. Like I'll, after the sessions, I have to reflect, I have to sit back and think, well, okay, what went on? during that session like I feel so much better let's have a look and try and work out <laughs> exactly what went on you know and and also I guess some of the memories that come up you know it's difficult to you know because the, the therapist will say you know we'll stop and the therapist will say what memories have you seen and so many memory memories pour through that you know sometimes I can maybe I can maybe you know attach to a few and say well I've dreamt about well, well, it's not dreamt I, I associate to this that and the other but actually the mind is just doing the healing it doesn't really, you know, I don't think it really matters what, how much I remember because my mind is just busy healing itself. That's kind of how it felt. It really. is. Yeah. That's what I found most hard about EMDR is to stop talking and get out of the way because yeah. I wanted to be like, let's talk. I'm trained in talk therapy. I'm trained in talking about everything. But EMDR, really, I set you up for that memory. I monitor you through that process and I walk that journey with you. But you do the healing. You are your own therapist. I don't advise doing it ever by yourself because I think yeah. that definitely if you have an ab reaction like you do, sometimes you need someone to walk you through that and to be okay. Yeah. But I really, I step out of the way. And the more that I step out of the way, the better it is for you, which initially was really hard for me because I'm a big talker and I like talking. <laughs> so it was very difficult to step out of the way. But I think that that's, yeah. And to also process that and be like, am I a therapist if I'm not talking or providing you with the skills? I often get people who haven't seen me. I, don't, I get very little referrals. Most referrals for me are now EMDR. I don't get any other referrals unless you want EMDR for me. But initially, it was really hard because people want skills. That's what they want. I've come to you because I want skills and I want to learn these skills and I can teach you from a cognitive basis any of these skills. But if you have trauma sitting underneath and you're triggered, it's really hard to then bring it back to a cognitive level when your frontal lobe's gone offline and you're having a reaction from that amygdala kind of fight or flight response. You can't just turn on your thinking brain and go, okay, I'm going to do some square breathing or I'm going to do this distraction technique or I'm going to do this. You really, if you heal with the trauma, you don't need the other stuff, which is really cool because it changes the way that you think about yourself and it changes the way that you move forward with your life. Yeah. 
Yeah. I definitely feel like I'd benefit from doing it. Um, especially lately, like my grandma died when I was about 21. And I didn't realize mm-hmm. for years that I never really dealt with her dying. Like I never really grieved because I was worried about my mum. Because obviously it was my mum's mum and I was always worried about how she was feeling and what she was doing because she had to go through all that and and look after her brothers as well, make sure her brothers were okay. So she never really dealt with it herself. And I find, especially lately when I've been stressed and a few years ago when I was in the hospital um, after having a breakdown, I still see her sometimes. Especially when I'm stressed, I see her or I dream about her. like when I was in the hospital, she was sat in the chair, kind of looking after me. Um, and I found mm. sometimes if I'm stressed, like sometimes I have bad dreams about like she'll be in the room, she'll be shouting at me, almost like in the back of my mind. I feel like I've let her down for something because I'm struggling with. Um, I feel like maybe <laughs> I could probably benefit for something like EMDR because it kind of helped me deal with that trauma of losing my grandma and dealing with the grief as well. A hundred percent. You've got to think that that grief is still stored inside you. It doesn't mean that it just goes away because time has moved on and things have changed. That grief still sits in there. And so, like you say, when you're stressed and tired, that memory comes up of her or the representation of her. And that's kind of an indication to you that there is some unresolved stuff. So, yeah, normally if you have dreams about things, if you think about things, and sometimes dreams don't always have to be so straightforward. So if my dad was quite physically abusive to me when I was younger, then I may not dream exactly about that, but I keep on having a recurring dream of running down a hallway and I can't get out and I'm just running, running. And it's not my dad behind me. It's like an axe murderer or something. But this can be a symbolization of like the experience of being trapped and being unable to save yourself when you're younger so those sorts of things definitely paying attention to them and really like when they come up being like okay what's going on hmm. yeah because I'm pretty open and talking about it like I tell my mum like oh grandma's visiting me in my dream and she wasn't very happy with me and it's been quite like I had a recent one like a couple maybe a week or so ago and I was dreaming mm-hmm. and I woke up and she was standing in my room, but it wasn't how I normally would see her. She had quite like a de- demonic face. Um, mm. And it was quite, quite traumatic. I'd wake, I woke up and I just felt really, really depressed and kind of traumatized. And I messaged my mum and was like, she's in my room and I don't want her to be in my room because it's stressing me out. And my mum normally says to me, just tell her that you're okay and to leave you alone. And I do feel like that works sometimes where it's like, she'll leave me alone if I say, stop, I'm okay, you're scaring me. Because mm-hmm. uh, after she died, I had quite a few, I've had quite a few dreams and stuff. And one of the one of the ones I remember very vividly, like she had this cat when she was towards like the like later years of her passing away. She died of cancer. And towards like the end of her life, she had a cat and she loved this cat and the cat was really protective of her. And once she died, no one really wanted the cat because the cat was quite aggressive. Mean. Like, yeah, it did attack you for no reason and no one really wanted it. So the vet ended up taking it home and looking after it and um, keeping the cat in the end. Um, and I remember it was really weird. I had this dream that we were in her house and we were just sitting chatting and obviously she wasn't there. And all of a sudden, like, all the lights were flickering and the doors were banging. 
and it was just like a really like aggressive environment and then she appeared and she was shouting at shouting directly at me like you gave my cat away why did you give my cat away and i woke up and i was absolutely like pulling my pulling my eyes out and i found out like later that week and stuff my sister had a very similar dream on the same night it was really really eerie like about the same sort of thing about grandma being angry about something and just like that's just so odd that that's happened and we both had similar dreams on the same night so if you follow Jungian we all have a collective consciousness so potentially mm. that could be you and your sister sharing the collective consciousness yeah yeah, yeah it's it's and both yeah. feeling the guilt and shame like potentially the guilt and shame over giving the cat away and both of you feel it and then collectively yeah. which is pretty cool if you look at Jung's work he says that collectively we have this consciousness and it all gets put up there together in the same sort of space and atmosphere and potentially that leads to it. Yeah. yeah. I just would wanted to maybe ask, just, just to rewind a little bit, just ask a little bit. So how, how do you use it? I mean, you know, obviously just only tell us what you're comfortable to tell us, but how, how do you use it in, in your own life? Is it something as a practitioner you will, you know, you, you will maybe just, I don't know, check in and use some EMDR you know, just as you go forward. I really. never do EMDR by myself. So yeah. I never do that just in case I have the ab reaction, same as everyone else. So okay. I have an EMDR therapist. So I don't think that you ever stop learning about yourself. And I don't think that you ever stop having experiences where you require EMDR. Sometimes yeah. I've had some really intense patients. Sometimes I've had some things happen in life and anxiety has come up and I'm like, oh, I feel like this is something that I really need to get to the bottom of why this is affecting me so much. Like, why am I feeling really anxious about this? And you do the EMDR and the memories all fall in and you're like, ah, oh, makes so much sense, but you're able to resolve that. So I think that I continue definitely to have EMDR as part of my practice and as part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's something really wonderful about EMDR. So it's, it's a kind of continual, it's a perpetual growth model, really. As things oh, come up, 100%. you just, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's yeah. the thing about DBT and um, CBT and ACT, like you can definitely mm. use them in everyday life, but um, I don't think it gets to the root cause. And that's what I found with DBT is I could give everyone these skills and they were using these skills, but they were still unwell. And that's the biggest thing is when we don't look, what's going on for me anxiously? And I think once you get an EMDR perspective, you get a bit of understanding that there might be something sitting underneath the anxiety and that's what's forcing it or bringing it up or making it more apparent. And when you get to the bottom, that's where you understand and have great learning. Yeah. I found that similar to my self-esteem workshop that I did. Like I was always scared to do group therapy because I didn't want to talk about my problems in front of other people. Like we had all these yeah. people that you would stereotypically look at, oh, you look like you've probably got a perfect life, you're good looking, you're charismatic and stuff. But like these people, having these people around me speak things, someone that would probably be like a football player or something, look at them and think, oh, you've probably got a good life. And to have them sit in the same room with you and speak about their, their struggles with anxiety or their struggles with depression and the fact that they, they don't value themselves very highly kind of makes you think, it kind of made me let my guard down a little bit and helped me open up and then notice yeah. things about myself as well. 100%. I think there's something so powerful in shared experience. And I think that being witnessed by other people to say, 
this is my story and being heard but then also witnessing other people share their story and be heard is an amazing healing thing because it makes us feel not alone and that's we're wired for connection we're wired to have this relationship with other people and that's yeah a very important thing so and I think just therapy is amazing yeah and, and I think I'd, I'd, I'd want to kind of just, just associate that to one-to-one therapy as well and it's something I've said on the show before you know for 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 some clients you know that have maybe had a life of not being seen not being heard but you know by people around them you know just coming to it and having a talking therapy and having someone really really listen and understand and really really you know kind of be there for them to and allow them to tell their story sometimes that's enough you know sometimes yeah. that is enough people it, it can be really really powerful um yeah a hundred percent and sometimes people have trauma and they don't always require therapy from that thing they have a very good lid on it they've understood Mm -hmm. it they've done a little bit of work themselves and sometimes they don't always need to come to therapy either so it's just that whole yeah where you sit and what you're seeking and what it is that you want to change with i think is the important thing Mm -hmm. did you Um, want to come in joe yeah i've i've been aware of the time and one thing we ask all our guests um we've started doing this series is what your favorite bit of advice is to give people with mental health or in relation to the topic um i think that from an emdr perspective never do emdr by yourself i think always seek out some help with that but also trust your intuition a little bit i think is really good so you know, if things are coming up a lot for you and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming, then maybe it is the time to seek help and maybe that is the time to really explore things in a deeper way. I think that EMDR is life-changing and I think that it is an amazing therapy modality and I think that if you have the opportunity to do that or you've tried other therapies, I find a lot of people come to me because they've tried CBT or they've tried DBT and they're like, nothing makes me better, it's just the same don't give up like that's the biggest thing is keep on trying until you find the thing that works for you if you have any kind of distress in your life I think that that's the most important thing is that you may not gel with the therapist you had or you may say that they were useless or that they weren't good or that things didn't work or you didn't feel any different don't give up and maybe EMDR is your thing that is going to create the change and I think that that's the most important thing is just to keep on going thank you yeah I agree with like some therapists work for some people, some people don't. It's not like a one one size fits all scenario. I've been through so many different therapies um, and I've had connections with some and some like I had one when I originally had my breakdown or when I first moved here a few years ago and it just wasn't working or anything. And then I swapped over when I came back and started seeing another lady and just had that instant connection straight away and it just worked so well and especially like because my borderline personality disorder thing was a recent like two years ago and I wasn't aware of it the minute that happened more minute I was diagnosed I recognized so many things like characteristics from it in myself and Mm. the fact I've had I'm in a much better place mentally than I was three years ago thanks to all like the therapy and stuff and um I definitely handle things yeah, I definitely handle things a lot better than I used to. Like, I recognise things straight yeah. away. If something's yeah, not right, rather you know, than I recognise it. Yeah. I think as well, um, some people are, like, scared of EMDR. 
And I think that they're scared because they're like, I don't want to go back there. That stuff happened all the way back there and I've moved on with my life and I don't want to go back to where that is. And the thing that I always say to my patients is you are strong enough to do that again because you've already lived that experience. You've already made it through that experience. And yes, it is hard reliving it and going through it again, but it's nothing that you're not strong enough to do because I think that that turns people off because they've had their lid on their box for so long and they're like, I don't want to open it. I'm not going to open it. But like what I want to say is, to encourage people to try because they have done this before and they have lived through that experience and made it through. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's true, you know, looking at it, at it from a kind of psychodynamic perspective, yeah, even though there's, these things are in a box, they're still, and the person may, may, may feel that, you know, they're in a box and they're unaffected. You know, I mean, these things are still affecting people, right? Even if they're dissociated or, or it, you know, mm. they're creating feelings there, you know, they, they, they kind of, they need to be processed really for the well-being of a person. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with, with what, what you're saying. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, um, thank you for joining us. Uh, um, thank you for having a, me. It's been a very interesting episode. It's definitely something I might look into now. Um, <laughs> that had a lot of trauma in life that I probably have some consciously not let, dealt with and have let probably hold me back with several things um and sure. thank you to mark for helping co-host again um we'll be back with uh, another episode next week where we'll be focusing on social media and mental health um stay tuned and thank you for listening thank yeah, you. good to meet you emily thanks for coming on thanks okay take care bye if you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes, please contact your local or country's helpline. You will find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, they have Samaritan's suicide helpline, but remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. Um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone, but there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or a doctor. There's someone to talk to. I've been in that position before. And talking to someone really does help. It's okay to not be okay. And I will see you in the next episode.